ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children and mice, hamsters of all ages, welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, and I am joined by my co-host... Sir Lucian. We are live. So thank you guys so much for coming out and watching us with our silly show on Saturday morning. Um, Our entire show is just two DMs getting together talking about what gaming they did in the past week. Um, Sir Lucian DMs quite a few games. I DM one game and kind of just the trials and tribulations of being a dungeon master, like questions that came up during the game um, and just our thoughts on D&D in general and like what's going on in the community. And I think what's big in the community right now is Critical Role. And did you watch oh, yeah. Critical Role, Sir Lucian? I did. I watched it live. Um, got to see most of it, probably three quarters of it. And it was an awesome start to a brand new campaign, really much anticipated. It's cool to see really good players getting into their characters. Yeah. I started listening to their past campaign uh, when they moved it to a podcast because I just don't have time to sit down and watch it on YouTube because they're like four-hour sessions. But I was like, oh, I can drive and I can listen to it on podcasts and I really enjoy it. But this was kind of like monumental because you could watch it from the beginning. Like now these guys are already established, but it's a brand new story to watch from the beginning. So I I tuned in. I could only catch about half of it. But so far, I really like, um, I don't know his name, but I like the half-orc warlock the most, I think. That's just a creative character choice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm It'll be a little while before I figure out everybody's names. Yeah. Um, I was really into Liam's character, um, and I really liked the dynamic. It was something that, you know, obviously everybody really likes Matt Mercer's style. It's not a style that everybody can do, mm-hmm. and although us DMs, we try to, you know, we have our own styles, and everybody really should have their own style. But the one thing I took away from that as a DM that I liked was the idea that he brought his players in, and there was only a couple of connections between each player, yeah. but they weren't all connected. So yeah. I really liked that idea. Yeah, because it's really easy to just say, and you guys all know each other and your friends. Yeah. Um, and that was really cool because they had, and they met in the tavern. Like, it's so cliche, but it's so awesome at the same time. <laughs> so they met in a tavern and they didn't know each other and they kind of had to, like, figure out who each other was. And that was just really interesting. No, Matt Mercer does a great job. Obviously, he's popular and talented. Um, don't be swayed, though, because like you said, not every game, not every Dungeon Master is Matt Mercer. Not every game has to be a critical role game. Um, and you can still have tons of fun at the table because, like, I'm no Matt Mercer, but I have loads of fun with my game. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're character-heavy, story-heavy, <laughs> but there's a lot of us that like to play a more tactical game or more or into just other versions of the games, you know, tournament yeah. style play or adventure league style play, or there's emphasis on different parts of what you can do in the, in the hobby. So yeah. And it's we were cool just to talking, see what they do. We were just talking before the stream started about um, like, is there too much combat in our games? Um, yeah. And not, not specifically that we have too much combat, but just, there's a there's a balance of exploration, role play, and combat, and I think I favor combat a lot because that's what my players like to do. Like they like to use their abilities and and figure out how to beat an enemy. And the world is a dangerous place in my game, so Tomb of Horrors was interesting because there was such little combat, and they finally had to be like, okay, we've got to like puzzle the the hell out of this place and figure out what what the tomb itself is against us. How do we overcome that? Um, which was good for my players. It was fun. So, but before yeah, all of yeah. that, what did you do this week in D anD D? Oh yeah. So what did we do? So we had a planned 
game on Monday night, which is our Dark Tides campaign where I get to play in. But like many of you out there probably share this, sometimes your games get rescheduled, sometimes schedules don't quite mesh and you have to postpone a uh, session. So that's what happened with Dark Tides. So hopefully we get to play that again in a couple of weeks and I'll have more info on that game because it's fun. I'm playing a War Mage. And that's the um, one you're, oh, so you're playing in Dark Tides. Okay. Is playing that in Dark Tides War Homebrew Mage, World? Yeah. It is. Homebrew set loosely in Forgotten Realms area, okay. but definitely homebrewed up yeah. for sure. Um, then we also did our final, what we call like a tech session um, on Tuesday for our Tomb of Annihilation, The League, uh, which is going to be uh, streamed by uh, a narcissist and a group of really fun players that are all content creators, like PB Plays Inside, which you see from some of the role-play games that are on my mm-hmm. um, channel, but also uh, Nomadic, who is on the Hexes and Bows podcast, or it might be oh, Bows sweet. and Hexes. It's yeah. one of those two. <laughs> yeah, I think and he does a really Hexes cool and Bows, I think. I haven't listened Hexes to Hexes and Bows. Yeah. I haven't listened to it, but I think I follow them on Twitter or I see them on Twitter a lot, but they seem like cool people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm, um, so there he's in it. And, and then, so it's, it's going to be really fun. It's a group of, um, variety streamers and such that are cool. playing the adventure league portion of two annihilation. A lot of people are playing two annihilation. I don't know how many of them are playing the adventure league style. So this, there's a little bit difference there. Yeah. So what is the difference? Like you're not actually playing tomb of annihilation that I can go buy in a store. You're playing something else? You can, you can, but the rule set for um, Adventure League is a little bit different. Character creation, the way you track your character. Because the idea behind Adventure League is that even though I'm playing in your Tomb of Annihilation, I can take my character, which is a legal character, go to another Tomb of Annihilation Adventure League game anywhere, and they fit me in, and I can play there Uh, too. So they have to make sure that the characters fit. There's rules that you got to do. There's way, There's things about not being able to trade money or hand off magic items to each other or stuff. And, you know, there's there's some rules that you play by so that it makes your character possible to go from one game to another. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I haven't played an Adventure League game yet. I've only read yeah. about it. I've seen some, but I haven't actually been in it. So that will be an interesting experience for me to go ahead and play in it too. So playing an Adventure League game online other than just like you guys want to play an adventure league game, what's the benefit of it? Are you going to take this character somewhere else? Is that kind of the idea or? I, I don't think I was going to, but I certainly can. And I yeah. may, I, I wanted the experience of seeing the adventure league from what I've heard, typically mm-hmm. adventure league games, when people play them, they're a little less on the RP and they're a little bit more on the gaming of it, the, the the mechanics of it, the getting through things, getting your XP, getting your treasure, getting your thing and being ready to move on to the next thing. Um, the adventures are all set up um, to kind of link together or be one-offs. And um, it's it's a little bit different than, you know, a typical campaign from what I've seen. Okay. Well, it sounds so, cool. Yeah, um, I'm hoping it, it's going to be really fun. Yeah, it'll be interesting to play with all those rules and stuff. So, yeah, so keep keep an eye on Twitter. You'll see us tweeting out about it. It's going to be on January 16th, the very first episode, 5 p.m. Pacific. Um, you can catch us on Anaris's, uh channel. He's going to do the hosting okay. and the streaming of it. He's the GM, so it'll all be pretty cool. What day again? Sorry, you just said it. January 16th. <laughs> what, what day is that? Is January. Thursday or? It's a Tuesday night. A Tuesday night. Okay. Uh, Tuesday yeah, night. maybe I'll try and catch it. That'd be fun. Yeah. I can cheer you guys on. And then on. my... 
Yeah, my last one would be I ran my Thursday night game, which did go off. I'm running it. My Borderlands is what I'm calling it, but it's my West Marches. And actually what I'm calling it is the pre-West Marches because I'm letting these characters kind of play out the story of a camp that gets built into the town that will eventually be the town of the West Marches game style that I'm going to play. So they're playing like that pre-prequel to the whole thing getting set up. So we got the map built out. They went and explored. They had a really good RP session. This is the first session, which was crazy. That was all RP and no combat. Hmm. And I had not had that happen in any of my sessions so far. Yeah. They were just into talking to each other, talking to the people that were around them, making discussions and plans. And we never actually fought anything. We got to the very end where there could be a fight. And that's when the session ended. We don't know if there's going to be one or not. It's kind of a cliffhanger. And we'll have to see what happens. So it was really cool to be in a session like that because for the longest time, I kept thinking I was too combat heavy. Like you said at the top yeah. of the show, we I've been thinking about, am I building my games with too much combat? Am I not putting enough RP in mm-hmm. or opportunity, enough mystery, enough talking to NPC stuff? And I think it comes from, I'm not the guy who can do a lot of voices. Like, are you doing voices for yeah. all your NPCs? Yeah, I do a lot of voices, um, or at least I try to, and they're, I, I struggle with names. Like, <laughs> there was one time where I named a new NPC somebody that they had met, like, four sessions back, and they're like, oh, is it the same person? And I'm like, oh, no, it's not Carl. It's actually Barl. Yeah, because yeah. I'm like, that, I'm a so bad name. at, like, creating names, which Xanathar's Guide was really cool because it had all those names, and I like flipping through that and just being like, uh, yes. Jahan, that's who you met. Um, but no, I like to do voices, and it uh, kind of depends on the the situation. But definitely, my mine are also combat heavy because, like I said, my players like combat, and I think also my players don't. Some players just don't know how to dive into role play and how to actually like. Well, I'm going to personify my character, and I'm going to ask you questions as if I were my character, and they kind of treat it like a video game. And I think after, because I've been DMing the same group for like two years now, and I think after that first year, they figured out that I'm like, oh, this isn't a video game. Like, I can have more fun with it. And if you just kind of present it like that, like, have more fun with it, just kind of dive in that the role play kind of comes naturally. But yeah. Yeah. Or the, the other analogy I like to use is like, it's almost like you've come to sit down and play a board game. And at a board game, you may have a character that you're moving around the board, but you're not necessarily rping that out whereas and sometimes people don't realize that hey we're playing a tabletop game it is a board game in some ways but it's a yeah rp game too so you've just got to ease them into it and everybody has their own level of what they're comfortable with, really and and i guess what i was trying to emphasize is like you can learn it because like my my players did learn it and i learned it as a dm like they they just take some time but that's awesome like it's real i really love it when i'm at the table and all of my players are having a conversation and i don't have to do anything like i can just sit back as a dungeon master and watch like dungeon masters love that so yeah yeah this session was me sitting back and enjoying them going back i'll give you the a a little gist of what they had they had found some books um and the person that hired them is looking for some artifacts to prove they're in a new land and so they found these books that they couldn't read and when they go back to talk to the guy they kind of make this decision that we're not going to tell him yet because they want to examine the books longer 
some of the people in the party, like the wizard wants to really go over them because a couple of them are magical. And so they don't tell them. But as immediately when they get out of talking to that NPC, the one player stops the whole party and says, we need to talk because why didn't we give him the books? And the other players are like, well, this is why we didn't give him. He's like, but yeah, but we should. And they had this nice, awesome 30-minute, 45-minute conversation about what their group should do, why they should do it. Mm -hmm. They came up to a decision. It wasn't like adversarial. It wasn't people throwing stuff at each other. It was like a really cool talk. And they all came to an agreement of, okay, we're going to, we'll give them to them in a week, but we just want a week longer to take a look at them before we hand them over type thing. I was like, and I just sat back. I'm like, the whole game's running itself at this (laughs) point. Yeah, that's always fun. That's really cool. Sweet. So that was mine. So we, we, I didn't get to play one reschedule. Yeah. One tech session, one short session. Um, but we did play mostly RP, all RP and it was great. And I can't wait till our upcoming week. So that was my, Mm. my week in Dungeons and Dragons. Nice. Um, but first of all, my my games usually are three hours. Like we get together for about three hours. But this Sunday we got together at four thirty, and we didn't stop playing till ten o'clock at night. And I didn't Ooh, I didn't nice. even realize this. Like we we were kind of at the edge of Tomb of uh, Horrors. Like they wanted to finish it, and everybody was really invested in the game. And so the time just like flew by. I had no idea that uh, we played for five and a half hours. But. Um, Tomb of Horrors was interesting. I finished it, um, and I made a video about it, and now I kind of want to talk about some other little things that happened in Tomb of Horrors. For example, um, there is like a fake Acerak in a, in Tomb of Horrors, like a, a dummy one that kind of presents the party with like, hey, you won the adventure. No, don't loot my, my tomb anymore. And the players got to that, and when they beat him, they realized that this is a little too easy, so they decided to keep exploring. But when they beat him, they got uh, seven magic scrolls. So during my prep time, I was just going through and I'm like, I don't know. I'll give them like alarm, unseen servant. Like I was just kind of picking spells at random, level one and level two spells. Oh, yeah. Um, I gave them two spells, though, that drastically or basically saved the cleric's life. It was um, web and tensor's floating disc, which are two spells that I'm like, those aren't going to do anything. These are just going to be random spells that they have. Cause I knew that there was nothing for them to fight that web would come into play and tensor's floating disc. They don't need because they have all these magic, um, bags of holding to like put loot in. So it didn't really matter. Yeah. But we got to yeah, a... those spells are good right up until you give them to players and then they do crazy things. Exactly. Exactly. And like you don't think what players are going to do, but then they yeah. So we didn't have a wizard in the party, but we had a cleric that had a really high arcana. So he had to roll arcana checks in order to be able to use these scrolls. But long story short, they get into a trap and there's like a walkway and then all of a sudden the walkway drops down and they're sliding down into a pit of lava. And they have to make strength checks on their turn to climb up 10 feet. So they can use the dash action to climb 20 feet. They have the potential of getting 20 feet out of the pit. But on initiative count 10, everybody slides 10 feet back down. So it's this like strength check scramble of getting back up. Um, The thief and the or the rogue and the cleric had the worst strength out of everyone so everyone else climbed up fairly easy but the rogue and the cleric kept sliding down and missing a strength check and sliding down just before they were going to go in to the pit he cast web to like stick themselves onto the platform 
And I was like, that's brilliant. But I didn't want the dungeon to become so easy. So uh, I said, you know, the, um, the lava is burning away your web. So you basically have two rounds of this and then your web is going to go away. So what are you going to do? So then he was scrambling with trying to figure out another way of getting out of there. They, they lowered a rope down so they had advantage on their strength checks to like climb back up. But even with advantage on strength checks, they were, they were still failing strength checks because their strength was just so terrible. Um, ultimately, the cleric said, can I cast Tensor's Floating Disc and stand on it so that I don't fall in? And in my mind, the disc would like fall into the lava. So I was like, well, you can do that, but it's not going to do you any good. Like you're going to summon it and it's just going to slide right off into the lava. So then we had to look up tensors floating disc and it's actually, um, it doesn't move. Like when you summon it, it stays immobile in place. And then when you walk away from it, that's when it follows you. Like when you're 20 feet away, it starts to follow you around corridors and stuff. So I said, yep, it sounds like you can cast that. So he cast that under his feet. By this time, the rogue had gotten up just through strength checks alone. And I said, okay, we can just take 10 now and you can like climb up. But those two spells saved his life. Like there were a lot of times that he was going to fall straight into that lava and the web stopped him. And then Tensor's Floating Disc basically allowed him to get out of the the pit. It was, it was really clever players and it was really awesome. So yeah, I think I think that's another cool uh, thing to point out for a lot of DMs that are watching too is that we're not trying typically to memorize all of the spells that are out oh, there and yeah. what they do and what they work. We we'll look them up, and that's okay to look up a few things in your game because it allows that opportunity for your players to kind of give input, you get input, and everybody has a real good consensus mm. going forward about how does this work? You know, how does that work? Because there's always a room for interpretation here or there. Yeah. Um, and you can't remember it all. So don't yeah. worry. You don't worry about having, like, if you're out there and you're thinking about running your first game and you're like, well, I've got to go through all of the Dungeon Master Guide. I've got to go through all the player handbook and i got to memorize all 144 mm. spells. Or I don't even know how many there are. You don't. <laughs> You know, you don't have to do that. You have to memorize enough to get through your session and just be ready to look up certain things when you need it. So, you know, don't let that stop you from playing. Don't let that make you prep for like a month when you could have been playing for a month, right? Yeah. No, and I have a player right now that wants to run Lost Minds of Fandelver. And I'm like, do it, run it. Like, you don't need anything else. And she's like, well, I better pick up the Dungeon Master's Guide. And I think I'll read through that before I play it. And I was, she needs to take your advice. Because I was actively, she wouldn't listen to me. And I'm like, no, you don't need any of that. Like, you don't even need the player's handbook for Lost Minds of Fandelver. Just pick it up and run it. Like, it'll be fun. Just dive in. in. If you don't know a rule, look it up. Like, I'll play in it and I'll look up rules for you. How about that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, always, you know, that was what I did when I first started mine was lean on the players that already have some knowledge. Tell the players in the very beginning, try to know your character. Help me understand your character. So when you're doing something, be able to explain it to me why you can do it, how you got it, and all that, so that I can really just concentrate on what the NPCs are doing, what the world's doing, all those things, and we're going to have a great game. And I think if you set that premise up, you can dive in. You don't need that Dungeon Master's Guide. There's very little rules in the Dungeon Master Guide these days. The 5th edition Dungeon Master Guide, we even have this in our show notes, has mostly about world building and extra yeah. stuff, but not anything you need typically to run the game. Yeah. Everything everything you need weird. is in the player's handbook, like rules-wise yeah. and stuff. It's yeah. world building. It's like how to make traps. It's how to... 
Um, and then it's magic items if you want all those magic items. But you're like, if you're like me, you like to make up your own magic items because it's fun. So, yeah. yeah. Or the module tells you all that stuff if you're running a, a regular module. So, yeah. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Just jump in. Yeah. So many people will wait a year trying to prep and get ready for their game they're going to run when they could have been playing that whole time. Mm-hmm. And then they actually, well, and then we, we explored rest of the dungeon. They kind of found some other things. And then we finally got to like a Sarak at about, I don't know, I think it was like nine thirty at night. Um, and right from the get go, I, and this, they're a level 11. So they're five players, level 11 and a Ser- the Demulich that they were fighting is a CR 18. So really, really out of their league and like only takes damage from uh non-magical weapon or magical weapons and even that magical weapons do half damage to him so he has resistance to magical weapons and he has immunity to non-magical weapons so i was waiting for the um this never happened but in my mind i'm like nope the uh the thief is going to get up there do a sneak attack roll all like eight of his d6s that he has and then i'm going to say and you did zero damage to him and that was going to be like, I just kept picturing that in my head. I'm like, what are they going to do? Like, what are they going to do? So right from the get go, I do this like scream attack that the um, Demulich has, which lowered everybody's or three of my five players failed the saving throw. So they instantly go to zero hit points. The rest of the players are scrambling with health potions, trying to get them back up. Um, the players rose up. And then again, the cleric who is really, really clever player um, said, I'm going to cast banishment on a Sarak. And I failed the charisma saving throw. A Sarak like popped out of existence. They started looting everything, looking for something that might help them. And then their ultimate plan was when a Sarak comes back, we're going to banish him again. And then I'm going to cast magic circle to trap a Sarak in a magical circle which I thought was brilliant. And I'm like, this is really smart. This is really awesome. And it hinged on this one thing. Like if I failed that charisma saving throw, they were going to win. But if I succeeded on it, I was probably going to annihilate the whole party. And they knew that too. And so it kind of came down to this. So I ended up rolling and I rolled a five, five plus 11 (laughs) was like 16. Um, The DC was 17. So he pops back out of existence. They quickly get that magical circle down and then he popped back and he was trapped. Uh, nice. And it was just a great ending to the Tomb of Horrors. Like, my players were clever, and they succeeded. But now the problem is is that, uh, and I blame the excessive amount of wine that I was drinking that night because we always have, like, <laughs> beverages with our games. But I completely spaced that Aserak has um, legendary resistances. So those first two, I should have totally, like, been like, nope, he passes that automatically and slaughtered my players. Uh, but... If you look at my YouTube video, I have a lot of great comments of people that are just like, no, you played that exactly correctly. Like, if anything, you should tell your players that he fought another adventuring company earlier that day. And that's where he used his three things, uh, his three legendary resistances, because it's just more fun for them to. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Like, I don't know, for them to, like, succeed on their clever thing. And they did succeed. And it wasn't because of me. It was because of chance, really, like rolling that dice like it was winner winner lose with that one die roll and i think that was a lot of fun so i don't know so i want to run tomb of horrors again like i kind of want to do it again and see how 
um, what I've learned and make it a little more adversarial because I definitely wanted my players to succeed. And I think going back through it, I could definitely say, okay, now it's you versus the dungeon master. And I still have to play within the rules of the tomb of horrors, but you have a lot more leeway to be vicious. Yeah. Uh, and so it would be interesting to play through it again. So. You just need more guinea pigs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And more like experienced players too, I think, because yeah. if I did just if I did like, oh hey, like let's just grab five new people who have never played D and D before and put them in the Tomb of Horrors, like that would just be mean. Yeah, and, too high level, too yeah. high level for new players. I think. Yeah, it would be it would be interesting. So I don't know what else do I have on my notes here that I want to talk about. Oh, and so I'm prepping for my next game. Um, I spent a lot of the week prepping because we're going to go back to my homebrew homebrew game where I steal a lot of adventures. And one of the adventures I stole from was a, an AD&D module. And I forget the title of it off the top of my head. Um, I think it's called Treasure Pit. And they're currently kind of exploring these ancient runes that are full of treasure. And they have an adversarial NPC that's trying to like basically take them out. Um, so I was prepping that, but there's a lot of travel in this. And so they're, they're currently in the desert and they're traveling. So I spent most of my week making a um, random monster or a random encounter list. Um, and how I do it is for every hex that my players crawl through. So say, say it's a four day travel, they're going to have to do four hexes. So for every day that they travel, I roll um, 2d20 or 2d12. And on an 11 or a 12, an 11, they get um, a medium encounter. And on a 12, they get a hard encounter. And if it's oh, double nice. double 11s, they get a medium or a hard encounter. And if it's double 12s, they get a deadly encounter. Oh, boy. And then I rolled. Um, so basically, I've got six medium encounters, 12 hard encounters, and six deadly encounters. And then I will roll randomly on that table to see what pops up. But I've yeah, got some other things common like thing for for DMs to create too those roll tables for their games. Oh yeah, like it seems like we're always creating those kinds of things. And I love making those things. Like I have yeah. a lot of fun. Um, later on in the dungeon, I've got this idea of a of a machine that changes your race. So if they go inside this machine and like activate it, it will change their race. And so I created oh, like all these good. roll tables, or I'm I'm in the process of creating roll tables for not just the main races, but all of the like monster races as well to see like what they transform into when they go through this machine, if they go when through this machine, they have to change. They have to like, like their strength it. will come down or what? Yeah. I think it would change. So if you, if you were a human and you took plus one to all stats, you would then have minus one to all stats, but you would get like the plus two to charisma. If you were a tiefling or something. Oh, that's so, so evil. That's good though. I, like I think it. it'd be fine. Yeah. So that's kind of what I've been prepping. And we were talking earlier before the stream started again. This is what we do. We talk before the stream starts. We should record that. Before and after. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and just about game prep in general and how it's taken me a long time to learn this because I was over prepping everything. But my rule now is when, when game prep starts to feel like homework, that's when I stop prepping and really rely on a lot of improv to go through the the whole campaign because yeah. they're going to make choices just like using that web spell or that tensors floating disc. Like they're going to make choices that completely surprise me and will alter the story. So why try and prep for all of that? You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. There was a good video on uh, Adam Kobold's channel. He does a uh, mm-hmm. uh, office hours and he answered a question that was very similar to that um, this week that was talking about how much prep should I do for my new campaign? And he yeah. had read, 
um, a, a nice paragraph from one of the video games that he's actually, or one of the tabletop games he's ran. And it was about if you like it and you're having fun prepping your world or world building, then continue to do it. Cause that's right. where your fun is yeah. as the DM is. But if it's not fun, then stop and just be ready to improvise the rest. Right. Yeah. And don't be like, when we say improvise, I think a lot of people freak out about that word. Like I'm not, I can't improvise. I can't think on my feet. I can't do this, but all it is is reacting. And that's how I like to think about it. Like you're not, you're not coming up with something out of nothing. You're reacting to what your players are doing. Um, and I can't think of a good example off the top of my head because I'm bad at improvising, but, (laughs) but if you (laughs) think about it like that, like my players decide to go left or right, they decide to go left. Well, you're going to react off of that. And you're like, okay, well, what's left? Um, I don't know. They find an oasis and there's a bunch of undead hanging around this watering hole. Like that's just reacting to what they're doing. They have to find something. Um, they find you're in a desert. I'm going to react off of a desert. What's in deserts? Oasises. Okay. I'm going to have an oasis that they find. And then what's a monster that they can find. I'm like, I don't know what survives in the desert undead. Like you kind of just, it's like a, uh, it builds on itself in your mind and you kind of just go through. And the idea that if you're building an improvisation and you're not the, the, the bad word that everybody uses is railroading. It forces you to listen to what the players are doing throughout mm-hmm. the session because that's going to help you form what's about to happen to them when they go off in a direction you weren't quite expecting, yeah. right? And then I think the key, the thing that really helps you with this to get you out of a bind is build in or have in mind a couple of time sinks, things that are going to give you time to figure out, okay, they took the left fork of the road They encounter this one nice thing, but that gives me time to really figure out what the heck is down further down the left fork Mm -hmm. of the road. You know, you don't have to know all of it now. You just have to know enough for the session you're about to play. Yeah, yeah. And I, I like to, when I end my sessions, I like to ask my players, like, specifically, what do you think, like, where do you want to go next? Um, so in my homebrew world, there's a big city to the south. There's like a dig site with some ruins. There's a Yuanti temple. Um, and so those are three possible locations for them to visit. And I kind of hint like, well, where do you think you guys want to go when the session starts up again? Because that, and I'll straight up just tell them because that's, what's going to dictate what I prep for next week. And then there usually isn't like, actually we changed our mind, Jordan. We want to like do this instead because they know that I worked hard and that I prepped a lot of this stuff. Cause then a dragon's that way. That's always how I, (laughs) (laughs) they're like, actually, we want to go right when you said left. And I'm like, well, you're devoured by dragons. So (laughs) there you go. I hope you had fun. (laughs) (laughs) New characters. New characters. (laughs) Uh, But no, those those travel montages, things like that. Um, I don't know if you use skill challenges in any of your games. Um, It's a mechanic I stole from fourth edition where everybody rolls initiative. And then you kind of do a montage or you tell a collective story through your skills. And we do those a lot. We do those a lot with, uh, especially with travel. So we're traveling and it's like, okay, your guys are traveling for a whole day. Um, You didn't run into any random encounters, but how did you spend this day? And a lot of them are like, well, I'm going to roll strength because um, I'm going to try and and scout ahead. So I want to make sure that I stay ahead of everybody. So I'm going to use my strength to kind of like keep my endurance up. And then if they fail that, there are consequences, but if they succeed on it, there are benefits. Like you not only do this, but you take a day off of your travel because you're able to like weave in between mountains or you see a stream coming up ahead, but you notice that they're, you know, this or this. And so we do a lot of that. And then the rules are you can't, 
what are the rules? You can't use the the skill that the, the person before twice. you used, and you can't oh, use okay. the same one twice. So yeah. it prevents people from being like Arcana, Arcana, perception, perception. Because that's know? my good one. <laughs> yeah, that's my good one. So it's fun. But wow, yeah. the time flies so quick. I know it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I guess we're at our thirty minute mark. Do you have any final thoughts about our? No, discussions? it was a great. Uh, great week of getting stuff ready and prepped, even though we had some reschedules. We got stuff ready to go. The mm-hmm. upcoming week is exciting. I think it's going to be great. Lots of games coming up, at least four. We're going to play our game tomorrow, I promise. I was going to bring that up. We are um, playing tomorrow, yeah. correct? Because we had a, we had to yes. reschedule last week, but we're going to play tomorrow. So yeah, what this time? is like the ever rescheduling game. Again, 12 p.m. Eastern. I'm going to uh, stream it on my channel. Yeah. And this is the you guys get to watch Jordan uh, play a Goliath yeah. death cleric, which yeah. is really cool. He's really fun. Yeah. Eglith, and the so, Goliath death cleric. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 super fun. We got a lot coming up and I'm just glad people are showing up. I thought our first show was super exciting with all the people that showed up. I want to say thanks for all the new subscribers and all the new followers and such. Yeah. And we're going to be here every Saturday morning when we can. And we're going to bring you lots of good DM tips and stuff yeah. and and what we do. And when I uploaded this on YouTube, we had lots of positive comments. So people seem to enjoy it. So thank you guys for watching. Thanks for just watching the show, being a part of the show. It's a lot of fun to have people in the live chat here. Um, yeah. And we will see you all next Saturday for the Saturday morning D and D show. Bye-bye. Bye Thanks. guys. Thank you so much for watching. Our intro and outro music is eight bit March by twin music licensed under creative commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.